Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Mimi Herman, author of the novel The Kudzu Queen. Best-selling writer David Sedaris wrote about the novel, Funny, Sad, and Tender. Mimi Herman has written a novel that possesses a true and hard-won understanding of the South. Mimi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Kudzu Queen, how would you describe the novel? Well, first of all, you should probably know what kudzu is because not everyone does. So um, when I talk to people in the North and the West about kudzu, I say, think about ivy that wants to eat you. <laughs> um, it's a, an in invasive plant that was brought over to the U.S., um, to solve problems, um, as we often do, we forgot to bring the rest of the food chain. So it has taken over telephone poles and trees and fields in the South. And the novel is about Maddie Lee Watson, um, a 15 year old girl who's the narrator. And Maddie wants to be the kudzu queen. She wants to win a beauty contest, despite the fact that she has no social graces. And she wants a kudzu king to fall in love with her, despite the fact that he is twice her age. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing The Kudzu Queen? I do, and this will tell you how long I've been working on this book. Um, I was in the library, one of my favorite places to be, and I was on microfiche. Um, a lot of people won't even know what microfiche is, <laughs> but imagine newspapers shrunk to the size of your thumbnail and then blown up in a big machine so you could see them. So... Uh, uh, I was reading articles on microfiche. I have no idea why. I've never made a practice of it before <laughs> or since. But I came across this article about these men who made it this, their life's work to promote kudzu in the South. And they went all around getting farmers to plant it, telling them about the fact that the government would pay them to plant it, um, and having kudzu festivals with kudzu queen beauty pageants. And I thought, that is the strangest thing I've ever heard. I have to write a book to figure out how that could have happened. That's wonderful. Did you find out why were they promoting it? Well, um, the book said in 1941, and at that time, as I said, the government, the um, Department of Agriculture was paying farmers to plant it, and the um, CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, was paying young men to plant it along railway embankments. So if you take a train in the south, you'll see lots of kudzu along the embankments. And if you think about the time, it's you know right after the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, and kudzu was touted as the miracle vine. There was a man named Channing Cope in Atlanta who wrote for the Atlanta Constitution and had a radio show. And he talked about how great it was. And he had something called the Kudzu Club of America that had over a thousand people. So you could <laughs> eat the roots. You could, you know, uh, you could fry up the leaves. You could make jelly out of the flowers. It could cure headaches. It could cure alcoholism, apparently. Um, and it just had all these uses. So it seemed like the perfect thing to feed your crops. And also people thought that it would keep the soil, you know, down on the land. When you're thinking about the dust bowl and all of that soil blowing away, people wanted anything that was going to keep their topsoil on their farm. That's interesting. I'd never heard that it was edible. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I know that, that, you know, animals and goats and things have eaten it. That's, that's interesting. Well, yeah. Well, can, can you tell us about your, your own riding journey and what led you to uh, eventually writing and getting this novel published? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I was a painfully shy kid. I think a lot of writers probably are. Um, and I had this fourth grade teacher ma- named Miss Stevens. Um, and she was young. She was probably right out of college. And she was the first grown up outside of my family that really saw me. And she taught us how to write poetry. And I just, I wanted to do anything that she taught me. And so I started writing poetry and that became the way that I expressed myself all through my adolescence, you know, through my highly emotional adolescence, as many of us have. And then I started um, writing fiction in college when I studied with an amazing Southern writer named Doris Betts um, and another one named Max Steele. And they were incredibly generous with their time. So I, I just fell in love with, with fiction and went on to write stories and then started writing novels. And when I'm writing any fiction, I like to take things that don't seem to fit together and figure out how they do. And so that was part of what started this novel. Cause it's also a novel about a 15 year old who's trying on her own sexuality for size. And she kind of wants to be taken up on it. And she's kind of afraid of what will happen if she does. Interesting. Well, well, I did notice in your bio that you um, did go to an MFA program. Can you tell us about your MFA experience? I can, and I did, and I can. I went to the most amazing MFA program. I went to the Warren Wilson MFA program for writers, which happens to be up in the mountains of North Carolina where I grew up. But I mean, I grew up in, in the Piedmont, North Carolina, but I would have gone anywhere that program was. It's a low residency program. Um, I think of it as being the best in the country. And so we would meet for 10 days twice a year for classes and workshops and lectures and readings um, and killer dances and really lousy <laughs> white wine. And then the rest of the time we would work one-on-one with a faculty member. So I worked with amazing people um, in my semesters there. I worked with Richard Russo, um, which some of you may have heard of, whom some of you may have heard of. Um, and, Um, Robert Boswell and C.J. Reibel and Charles Baxter. And each of them really got me to deepen my writing and strengthen it and stop being so nice to my characters and never letting anything bad happen to them. (laughs) Um, So if you read the book, you'll see that I do, in fact, let a lot of bad things happen to these characters. So I think I learned that lesson. But I just, it's an amazing way to learn. And the faculty in that program are so generous and smart. One of the things I love is that their lectures for the program are based on problems they're trying to solve in their own writing. That's interesting. Well, you talked about poetry and writing short stories Mm -hmm. and novels. Can you tell us a little bit about what your writing process is like when you were working on the Kudzu Queen? Uh, Are you someone who kind of has the initial idea and you talked about reading these old newspapers and seeing Mm -hmm. the, the stories did you kind of uh, plot and, and outline beforehand, or do you just kind of have a nebulous idea and kind of dive into the narrative? How does that work for you? <laughs> I'd like to say that I plotted it all out and I had charts and <laughs> diagrams and everything, but I'm afraid that is not true. Um, I write for the same reason I read, which is to find out what's going to happen next. And so when I'm writing, I just start writing pages and I write whatever scene comes into my head and it could be from anywhere in the book. Uh, Sometimes it's just stuff that never appears in the book. That's just to discover characters or the place or the time. And I just keep writing until I've accumulated a critical mass of pages. 
And then I start organizing them. And then I look at them and go, well, what's the story that I'm trying to tell? Or what's the, what's the story that's trying to tell itself? Because it sometimes seems to emerge without much help from me. Uh, and then and then I start putting it all together. And then, then I, once I get all of it in order, I figure out where the gaps are. I overwrite like crazy. So the original draft of this book was 680 pages. Um, even my own, my own mother would not read that book, I feel quite sure. And what I did was I started playing pickup sticks. So, you know, like when you play pickup sticks or Jenga, you pull out one and try not to disturb the rest <laughs> and then another. So could I pull out this, this word, this sentence, this phrase, this paragraph, this scene, this character, this subplot, this chapter, until I had it down to a reasonable size and until I felt like every word that was in the book belonged in the book. That's interesting. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who may be working on their own short stories or novels or poetry? Gosh, I have so many different things I'd love to say. One is have fun. You know, it shouldn't be miserable. If you're miserable, do something else. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, there are going to be times when it's tough and, and definitely plow through those. But, um, uh, one of the biggest things that I find useful um, is to try to immerse myself in a place through all of my senses. You know, one of the things that I realized when I was going over this book was how much food was in the book. So obviously I was really hungry the whole time I was writing it, but um, can you make something feel three dimensional by using at least three senses? Uh, the other thing I think is to figure out what's your, What's your pattern? You know, do you write best when you give yourself a goal of X number of pages per day or Y number of words per day or, you know, so many hours per day? Or, you know, do you need to do things, you know, early in the morning or late at night? For me, the best thing to do is to take what I call a writing week and just turn everything off and do nothing but work on whatever it is I'm working on. And when I do that, I tend to write 10 pages a day. I realize not everybody wants to try to write 10 pages a day, mm -hmm. but I like to push myself to do that. Have you started thinking about or working on a new novel? I have. I absolutely have. Um, so I've got a new novel that I'm working on. I started working on it um, just when this book was coming out and realized that I couldn't be out in the world, you know, doing readings and interviews and things like that and work on a book at the same time. Cause I really need to not be doing anything <laughs> else when I'm writing. Um, and then I've, I've come back to it recently. So I like to write books that are set in different time periods, uh, but are not about the great moments in history. So this book happens, you know, after the depression and just before we entered world war II. The next book I'm writing is set in Ireland where I lived for a year um, in the mid eighties. So I was fascinated by that time because there was so much going on politically, but also socially. I mean, when I moved to Ireland, um, the, the people that you saw posters of everywhere were Marilyn Monroe and James Dean in the mid eighties. <laughs> um, and everybody I knew that I worked with, um, I bartended and waited tables and they were all on the dole and, and, uh, working and, just the most generous people I'd ever met. And so I wanted to write a story that was set in that time. And that also played the music of the time, two different kinds of music off against each other. So there was the traditional music. You could go into a pub anywhere in Ireland and sit in on a session where people were pay playing fiddles and guitars and penny whistles and singing. 
you know, ballads that have been around for hundreds of years. But at the same time, um, the kind of nightclubs that were popular in New York, like Studio 54 and area were cropping up in Dublin. So you could also go to these really hip nightclubs, you know, next door to a pub. And so I was intrigued with that because I spent a lot of time listening to both kinds of music and a lot of time dancing. That sounds fun. Thanks. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Wow. I've been reading a lot of novels lately. Um, I read one um, by Marjorie Hudson, um, which is called uh, Indigo Field, which is extraordinary. And I'm currently reading or just finishing Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. Um, so both of them are really go really in depth into the characters and the land and the people. I'm fascinated by those. Um, those are two that I've loved lately. Yeah. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your writing and your latest novel, the kudzu queen? Oh, great question. It's really easy. It's just mimiherman.com. M I M I H E R M A N.com. Um, and you'll find lots of information about me and a contact form if you want to get in touch. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing dropping in on book clubs with Zoom Zoom meetings. So I'm happy to do that if anybody's interested. Well, again, we've been speaking to Mimi Herman, author of the novel The Kudzu Queen. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Mimi, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great talking with you. Absolutely. <laughs> 